Welcome to Policy for the People, a show that explores the public policies that can lift up all Oregonians. This show is a collaboration between KMUZ Radio and the Oregon Center for Public Policy. I am your host, Juan Carlos Ordonez. Oregon is a prosperous state in one of history's richest nations. And yet, close to half of all Oregon households struggle to afford basic necessities, such as food or rent. What would it take to make all Oregonians economically secure, to ensure that they and their children can live in dignity? One of the solutions to economic insecurity and poverty is quite simple. Give people cash. Make it so that everyone has the resources to meet their basic needs. The idea of confronting poverty by directly providing families cash is not new. Now one of the answers, it seems to me, is a guaranteed annual income, a guaranteed minimum income for all people and for all families of our country. Martin Luther King Jr. fought for a guaranteed income. During the Nixon administration, a plan to establish a form of guaranteed income seemed to have a chance of becoming law. The legislation, however, ultimately failed. Several factors were its undoing, not least the opposition from Southern lawmakers who viewed it as a threat to a system of racial hierarchy built on the exploitation of black labor. Today, cash policies, including guaranteed income, are making a comeback helped in part by experiments carried out during the economic crisis triggered by the COVID pandemic. In today's episode of Policy for the People, we are focusing on cash policies and what they could mean for the well-being of Oregonians. That will be the topic of conversation with my colleague Janet Bauer, Director of Policy Research at the Oregon Center for Public Policy. But we're going to start by discussing one piece of legislation recently enacted by the Oregon legislature that is an example of a cash policy. House Bill 4157 will send a one-time payment of $600 to low-paid workers in our state. I spoke with one of the champions of House Bill 4157, State Representative Andrea Valderrama. She represents House District 47, which covers Outer East Portland. Representative Valderrama, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So let's begin by talking about the problem that gave rise to House Bill 4157. What led you to put forward this legislation? Yeah, well, we know that workers have really stepped up and shown up on the front lines to work during this pandemic and continue to work in person, risking a lot of their health and safety prior to maybe vaccines being available and really to keep communities running. Um, And especially for black and brown communities and workers, we know that there were disproportionate impacts Um, especially after cost of living, things like groceries or medications or rent or childcare continued to increase in cost. And so we heard from really hundreds and hundreds of Oregonians who said this pandemic is as much an economic crisis as a health crisis. And so we put this bill forward. And as you were contemplating this problem, were there any particular stories that really stuck with you that you heard from your constituents about their struggles in terms of the rising cost of living and and other economic issues that they were facing? Yes, there were so many. You know, I come from a multi-generational 
household in Outer East Portland. I'm a first generation Peruvian American. And there were so many stories that really resonated with me and, and what our family was experiencing and, and Outer East Portland um, in, in my neighbors and in my community. I think a couple of different stories really stood out to me in particular in the hearings to SEIU members, one woman, Berta, who talked about how she, as a janitor, was really scared about cleaning offices, cleaning and sanitizing other spaces, not knowing the risk that that would have on, on her family or her own health, and yet the need to continue to pursue this work for the resources to, again, pay for things like childcare or rent. I come from a family of, of day laborers, of, of janitors, and, and that was particularly moving to me to hear. I also remember hearing a story from Veronica, who was a service, a food service worker, or I think currently is in a school district, and who talked about how uh, she left her position and uh, needed to rely on food boxes. And that was very similar to, to my own story, leaving the workforce in, in 2020 to transition my own daughter on, into online learning. I think it, it's, a, it's a really powerful, eye-opening moment to realize uh, how much we rely on uh, resources to you know, keep food on our plates. Those were just a, a couple of the stories that I remembered from and, and uh, hearing directly from people about how impactful this check and these resources could be. You represent Outer East Portland, but it's pretty clear that the economic challenges facing families is not limited to Portland. Uh, it's a statewide problem. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. The cost of living is a huge issue across across our state. And this is why it was so important to us to pass this bill as soon as possible, knowing that there were so many other areas, in particular rural communities, who were really in need of these resources as soon as possible. People working in low-wage jobs do vital work that keeps Oregon's economy and communities running, but any wage growth that they've experienced in recent months has been eroded by price increases. And so we really felt and heard from communities across Oregon that this was a problem. So the price increases that have really surfaced since the start of the pandemic and have continued to rise is in some ways the latest challenge that low-paid families have encountered, but their struggles predate the, the pandemic. Is that something that you've seen in your community? You know, Outer East Portland is a good example of how the pandemic really exacerbated a lot of pre-existing inequities, economic inequities, educational inequities, access to education and healthcare. And I think that was really the case for a lot of communities as well, as we thought, oh, we, you know, we'd get out of this in, in two weeks, in two months. And now here we are two years later. Um, people are, are pretty tired and in, in need of continued relief. 
So let's turn to House Bill 4157. Can you tell us how it addresses the problem of the rising cost of living and economic insecurity that families are feeling? Can you walk us through some of the details of the bill? House Bill 4157 directs the Department of Revenue to establish and administer a program for one-time $600 payments to low-income households with members who worked during the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. So only taxpayers who qualified for and claimed the EITC, the Earned Income Tax Credit, on their 2020 personal income tax returns are eligible to receive these payments. One of the exciting components of this is that the payments will be made to Oregonians by July 31st of this year, so really in just a few months. And the Department of Revenue estimates that about 245,000 taxpayers will be eligible, so almost a quarter million Oregonians, which is pretty outstanding. Can you give us a sense of the type of family that claims the earned income tax credit and thus will benefit from this uh, one-time payment? Yes. So if you make, let's say, about $50,000, I think it's like 50590 ish um, with three or more children, you, you qualify. It's really EITC is based on people whose income don't exceed particular limits. And so, again, it's about 50500 for individuals with three or more qualifying children, about 47000 with two children, and I think about 15000 with no children. There are slightly different ranges for people who are married or are filing jointly. What are the advantages of distributing these payments through the tax system as opposed to doing it through some other other mechanism? So the Department of Revenue had the existing data and resources to not only identify the individuals, but distribute the payments to Oregonians this year, which was a drastically different outcome than any other type of model that we looked at for previous iterations of this bill. So for example, a third party vendor or a different agency, we knew that folks said we need as much money as possible as quickly as possible. And going through the Department of Revenue where folks did not have to apply, where they could automatically receive payments was the best way, the most effective way to get these resources to folks as quickly as possible. So that's what really we felt was a phenomenal advantage of working with the Department of Revenue. The $600 payments are one-time payments. What is the reason for the fact that it is a one-time payment? So we've seen ARPA dollars similarly being used by other states like California. I think they had the Golden State stimulus or other states like New Mexico and Maryland and Colorado, these funds do have a expiration date, so to speak. So we do have to spend them by next year. 
Uh, and again, we wanted to make sure that folks were getting the resources as quickly as possible. So we landed at the one-time payment in just a few months. That being said, I certainly know that there is more economic need, much more need across Oregon than we could solve for with this one bill. And for the listeners that may not know, the funds that you're referring to are federal relief funds that were enacted in March of 2021 by Congress, right? Yes, that's correct. So long-term, what do you think Oregon ought to do to improve the economic security of its people? As a first-generation proving American here in Oregon, I think one of the strongest economic barriers for me was in higher education or in my pursuit of higher education. So really looking at things like tuition or even, you know, free tuition or or much lower tuition, access to higher education, making sure that folks who are wanting to pursue both CTE, career readiness, and higher education have viable paths to do that, I think would fundamentally improve economic security of of all Oregonians and especially immigrant refugee or BIPOC communities. I do think there's something to be said also about more equitable taxing structures and really looking at the top one, five percent, right, that continue to have significant tax breaks while a lot of working class, uh, middle income communities don't get the same benefits. And then, you know, I would also love to explore other creative ways that um, we can provide resources and economic stability, predominantly to to moms and parents. So whether it's things like childcare or some sort of, you know, universal basic income um, for, again, um, folks who are most in need. But I would say just most importantly, it's really about listening to Oregonians and and what what the need is, right? And and really making sure we're putting people before policy so that we're not continuing to make decisions that we as electeds think are the best, but that we know for sure meet the needs of what our constituents need. That was State Representative Andrea Valderrama speaking about House Bill 4157, which will provide a one-time payment of $600 to low-paid workers in Oregon. We continue our discussion of cash policies with my colleague from the Oregon Center for Public Policy, Janet Bauer. Janet is the Center's Director of Policy Research. Well, hi, Janet. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Juan Carlos. So, Janet, you heard Representative Valderrama speak about the one-time payments for low-paid workers that House Bill 4157 will deliver. What is your take on this policy? It's definitely a step in the right direction. As a representative said, many workers in Oregon were having trouble paying their bills before the pandemic, and the pandemic then made it even harder. So giving cash to low-paid workers is actually a very good approach, and I was really glad to see that bill pass. Over the past two years, we have seen some large-scale experiments with what are called cash policies, policies that respond to economic insecurity by 
directly providing cash to families and individuals, putting more money in their pockets. Can you talk about those experiments and what we know so far as to what they have accomplished? Yeah, the lessons about cash policies are the result of the federal response to the pandemic. Lower wage workers were truly having a hard time during the pandemic. For example, leisure and hospitality workers in Oregon, about half of those jobs disappeared. So the federal response to that crisis was actually not to get fancy. It focused on getting people cash. And there were a number of ways that this happened. And they were very effective in staving off the worst of the, of the pain. For instance, there were the stimulus payments. Um, Congress approved three. Uh, they started in 2020. And as a result, there were sharp declines in people who were reporting that they couldn't get enough food to eat. And there were folks who couldn't pay their rent. Those, those figures dropped by 45%. Um, we also saw some reduced levels of anxiety and depression. So, you know, these interventions uh, through the stimulus were very effective in helping shore up the family budgets at that time. Then there were there was the earned income tax credit. Congress made that more generous. And uh, with the earned income tax credit, people basically get a rebate when they file their taxes. And the average is several thousand dollars. But the big news was what it did with the child tax credit. Now, Congress built on the existing child tax credit to efficiently get cash to families with children. It made the credit larger from $2,000 at the maximum per child up to, uh, and they increased that to three for most children. And for very young children, they increased it to $3,600. So for families with several children, you know, we're talking you know, up to $6,000 or more. And Congress didn't wait for people to file the ta their taxes to get, to get them the credit. They started giving half of the amount almost immediately in monthly installments of about $250 per child. And nearly all families with children started getting those advance payments. Congress also made it so that the lowest income families would get the full benefit. And many of those families who are getting that expanded amount were black and brown families who had been shorted previously. So with the earned income tax credit and the child tax credit together, those two cash policies cut child poverty nearly in half for the period of time that they were provided. So I think we can look at what difference did that cash make? for low-income families, um, it made a huge difference. Families used the money on very basic things like food and clothing, school supplies, utility bills, paying the rent, that kind of thing. And many were working and not eligible for regular government assistance, but yet they were just not keeping up. So during the pandemic, we found that cash can really help and it can be very efficiently provided with uh, very little overhead. Yeah, it seems like cutting poverty in half is quite an accomplishment, especially in such a short 
period of time. Of course, the child tax credit expansion only lasted for a year. It has expired now. And we're hoping and urging Congress to enact an extension of that of that expansion of the child tax credit. But the experiences during the pandemic have really given a boost to conversations about a policy that goes by the name of guaranteed income. Can you explain to the listeners what guaranteed income is? Guaranteed income is an umbrella term for the idea of giving a direct regular cash payment to ensure that everybody has a baseline level of resources. Uh, Guaranteed income doesn't prescribe how people use the money. There aren't strings attached and there aren't work requirements. So it's meant to supplement, not supplant the existing social safety net. It builds on the premise of freedom of choice and dignity that people know what they need. You know, I would say a guaranteed income is seen as a means of ending poverty and reducing social inequalities um, based on gender and race in our country. Has guaranteed income been tried anywhere in the U.S.? Yes, absolutely. In fact, the idea of guaranteed income is actually a very old one. It goes back to the beginnings of our country. Um, Some early advocates were people like Thomas Paine. President Nixon actually promoted a version of guaranteed income, and certainly Martin Luther King did as well. There's been a recent resurgence of interest in this approach, and a couple years before the pandemic started, there were several pilot programs that launched. Um, One was in Stockton, California, where the city gave 130 low-income residents $500 a month. Folks who received the money spent it on necessities, uh, with the largest share being spent on food. There was another pilot in Jackson, Mississippi, and it was targeting um, low-income Black women, and that pilot has expanded. And both of those have generated some really helpful evidence about the positive role of supplemental cash provided to low-income families. There's now an organization called the Mayors for Guaranteed Income, and it's um, there's about 62 mayors now participating, and they support the idea of a federal guaranteed income. I think in the meantime, since the pandemic started, there have been quite a number of additional pilots that have been launched throughout the country. And the goal is to gain some information and understanding about how best to structure the programs and what their benefits are. You know, I think spurred on by the power people saw in the federal pandemic response, there certainly is much more interest right now in learning about how guaranteed income can address some of our present day really serious social challenges. Critics of giving people cash, giving struggling families cash with uh, no strings attached, say that this is the kind of policy that will make people not want to look for work. What does the evidence say on this point? Well, I can share that there's evidence that the payments do not discourage work. And in fact, the pilots that I've mentioned have shown that many low-income families who are given cash, it has the effect of encouraging work. So for instance, let's look at the experience in Stockton. Uh, 
At the start of the program, 28% of the recipients had full-time employment. Many of the others were working part-time. And one year later, 40% of the recipients were employed full-time. When they looked more closely, it turned out that, you know, for folks, once their basic needs were met by the cash payments, the recipients had the emotional and financial capacity to take the risk to look for a better job. You know, so I think in reality, supplemental cash payments may actually provide the stability that people need to be available for work. And it may enable people to get to their job and those cash payments can support work in many other ways. So cash policies, it looks like, in fact, make it easier for people to get a job and stay employed. Are there other economic benefits to families or to society at large from such cash policies? There does seem to be uh, some additional benefits. A recent study, for example, estimated that there are considerable benefits to society far beyond the dollars that are directly invested. So, for instance, they found increased health and longevity benefits for parents they found that the biggest benefits were for children who show positive health outcomes, higher educational attainment and earnings as adults, and increased taxes paid as adults. There are also savings to the public in lower healthcare costs, lower child protective services costs, criminal justice and other social welfare costs, those sorts of things. So all around uh, a tremendous gain for society for for the nation uh, that can potentially come from cash policies, it seems. Yes. This July, as we discussed with uh, Representative Valderrama, Oregon will see one cash policy take effect, the one-time $600 payment for low-paid Oregonians. But looking long-term, does Oregon need a cash, a more permanent cash policy, a more regular mechanism for delivering cash benefits to Oregonians? Well, let's look at the big picture. People may be working, but the jobs that are available aren't paying enough um, for many to support their family. And that's not good for adults. It's not good for worker retention. It bodes poorly for child outcomes. It's bad for the economy when people don't have the money to spend to meet their needs. So Oregon absolutely needs to come to terms with this and figure out the best way to ensure that everyone has the resources to meet their needs. So a cash policy would help us get in, get in that direction of providing the kind of economic security that families need, it seems. I think that's exactly right. You know, this is a gender and racial justice issue. Uh, the folks who are most likely to be paid poorly are women uh, and black and brown workers. Poverty robs a person of dignity, and it will take more than one policy to fix this resource issue, but a guaranteed income should definitely be on the table as an important part of the solution. Are there any final thoughts you want to share with us regarding guaranteed income and cash policies more generally? We definitely see the evidence that cash works. It helps families who are struggling. It is effective in addressing poverty. It helps people work. And it has, you know, some important 
broad economic um, implications for our state. So I think that it's really time that Oregon look closely at a guaranteed income as uh, an effective solution for a number of issues that it's facing at this point. Well, thank you very much, Janet. Thank you, Juan Carlos. And thank you for listening to Policy for the People. We will see you next time.